Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. All right, welcome back to Inside the Firm, special edition AIA 2019 in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. I'm here today with a listener from the podcast, Lucas Reams. Uh, He's the architect and director of Trimble Consulting. uh, Trimble Consultants, excuse me. Lucas leads Trimble's consulting group based out of Los Angeles, California, previously Gary Technologies, and is co-founder of Zero Sixty, an accelerator program focused on design and technology for the AEC industry. He specializes in assisting design and building professionals and powerfully delivering technology on driven projects. Having worked in the USA, Latin America, and Asia, he has consulted on a wide range of project typologies, including entertainment, transportation, higher ed, sporting complexes, retail, commercial, and cultural buildings. A lot of stuff. Lucas, welcome to Inside the Firm. Thank you for reaching out uh, after hearing our request. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Looks like it's an exciting event and... Uh, you know yourself uh, opening opening up the platform and uh, which is sort of uh, also just being able to you know listen to your podcast uh, historically uh, went from uh, episode one all the way through so uh, happy to be here Absolutely. yeah yeah no glad to have you yeah. it was a, I was a, it, it made my day when I when I whenever I get an email from anybody like that like if yeah. they're just they're appreciating or something like that every once in a while I'll get a nasty email and that we just kind of laugh at it <laughs> um, but so I'm super glad to have you on. Um, well, one thing I wanted to talk about right off the bat was uh, how you actually followed some of our advice and submitted a proposal uh, that was trending with your hometown news. So tell us about that submittal, um, how it went, how what what the project was, and if it's landed to do any work or any what's anything that's come about because of it. Yeah, so that was interesting. You know, um, so uh, my wife actually uh, runs her own firm, and I also have uh, quite a few other colleagues out there that are starting their own businesses. And and so uh, although myself, I have my day job. Uh, at Trimble Consulting, uh, we thought that it would actually be interesting to sort of form a group and create a proposal to, you know, get some excitement built around some of these businesses, both AVR Interior Design and also the Urban Design Collective with Steven Nieto. Uh, and uh, also in particular because it was just such an exciting opportunity to be able to give back to the community. Uh, you know, myself, born and raised in Reno, uh, they're actually redeveloping a lot of land right next to the strip uh, that uh, used to be an old bus depot. Um, I took that bus growing up. Oh, so, cool! Absolutely, and uh, and so you know, we knew that there's going to be proposals, and we wanted to be a part of that uh, to be able to see what we can offer to the uh, to the future of the downtown Reno area. So the city was it was an RFP from the city. It was an RFP from the city. Uh, they had maybe about three other proposers. Uh, we came in late. Uh, typically, uh, everyone else had around three to four months to prepare. Uh, we were after the deadline, so we're not heard by city hall, but. Uh, still at the same time, I uh, was able to sort of build up a lot of, you know, momentum activity, uh, some uh, uh, some perspectives from the city coming back, and then uh, some of our, our team members are following up with some of the uh, other proposers that are likely going to actually win the project. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you just put yourself out there. You never know if 
something good is you know is something come about it and if it doesn't it doesn't but if you, you don't ever get anywhere unless you put yourself out there like that so that, i think it's applaudable that you guys did that i'm glad yeah. it's really cool and i i took a look at the renderings it looks like a cool project um i wish you guys would have got it <laughs> yeah. yeah and and all of that was done in maybe a period of about three days oh wow uh, including the entire uh, proposal the text document uh which you know uh wonders of of google drive and docs where you could co-edit and and luckily, we happen to have a team that uh, thought of everything about from the finishes to the look and feel and textures of the spaces to the architecture all the way to the, you know, urban planning and, and access and landmarks. And so uh, that team was the only way that we were able to, you know, knock it out in about three days. Yeah. Well, and what was tell everybody what, what the project was specifically? Uh, our, our proposal? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what, what was the RFP? It was asking for a, just a redevelopment of this this area, right? Yeah. So the RFP is uh, basically there are two existing uh, buildings on the site, and it was the, the old bus depot uh, city center. And uh, this location was sort of abandoned for some, for some time. The city was trying to figure out what to do with the space. Um, so it was an open call for proposals. Uh, where they could, you could either adaptive reuse the buildings uh, themselves. Uh, you could do new builds, uh, looking for all types of of, of uh, a program, uh, ways to engage the community, and also specifically to look after the downtown action plan and the future uh, of of the area that with some of the goals that a city has set forth. Um, so, uh, interestingly enough, one of the winning proposals uh, took into account one of the adjacent properties, and uh, that is actually sort of a failing. Uh, city building right now. It's you know it's it's a bowling stadium uh, where it's only utilized when the bowlers come in to use it as a national bowling stadium. Um, so uh, you know they were able to use that in as part of the uh, pr- project that they proposed. Yeah, very cool, man. Um, so did you get any press out of out of the thing, or did you guys are you guys just kind of kind of let let the project live live on on a website so that you know that's one of the things I think the beauty of those things is that you can it becomes part of your portfolio. Right. Ex- exactly. Um, it, it, I, we missed. We just missed by about maybe uh, twelve hours uh, getting on the news in Reno. So, oh. uh, so that's what uh, where it comes down to the point where we submitted the day before the city uh, uh, the city convened on the to- on the topic, and they did a news highlight, and they actually showed all of the images. So from everybody's proposal. So we just missed it. And we could have actually been a highlight because we have the local. You know, we would have been the local team that went out uh, beyond Reno to sort of. You know, get an architecture education and then come back and reinvest in the community, uh, whereas most of the proposals proposers were actually outside of the community. So we could have been a part of that story. So we slightly missed it, um, but we, you know, we did sort of get some some Twitter action and and different uh, you know different engagements from some of the media. Yeah, so. yeah. See, see everybody who's listening. This works. I'm telling you. I did, I've done it. Lucas Lucas almost did it. It yeah. was just by 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it works. So look out for those things because. You just never know who's watching the news at the right time, the right developer. They see you, and then they go, they decide, you know, from three or four different proposals on something like that, and they're like, yeah, but I like those guys. Like, that idea, I want to work with that team, you know, on the, on this project or something like that. So uh, so you also work for Trimble, for Trimble Consulting, which is formerly Frank Gehry Technologies, and that's the curvy, swervy, cool facade let how do we make these crazy gary buildings work right yeah. um tell us about what you do there like and, and and what does and how how that technology is working right now for other owners architects engineers contractors yeah and absolutely and actually behind us we're, there's a big 
cardboard cutout of one of Frank's projects yeah. uh, just just over here. Uh, so so Trimble Consulting. So uh, you, we grew out of uh, Frank Gary's architectural practice uh, as Gary Technologies uh, many years ago. Uh, you know, early adopters of dig- digital delivery, digital project delivery, and uh, have used a lot of. Uh, interesting and exciting technologies along the way to get there. Um, I would say historically, uh, just aside from the technology, there's been this huge uh, history and legacy around how you engage with uh, the builders, right? So, uh, you know, actually taking in subcontractor feedback along with the design process, you know, design build, all these different things, but doing it in a way uh, where you're actually really leveraging the technology aspect and digital digital, uh, uh, project delivery. Uh, to be able to execute some of the, some of these, you know, uh, in, in the early cases, some of Frank's complex work, uh, but you know, uh, really expanding beyond that and working with uh, uh, with you know a, a global list of you know architects, engineers, and contractors uh, to drive technology-driven projects. And but that could be that could be infrastructure. Uh, it could be about how do you get what's the most effective way to excavate dirt and you know rock out of a ground for a transit project. Um, or it could be a high-rise, and you know, what's the way that you can uh, make an economical uh, facade system? Um, or, or it could be around, you know, how do you uh, drive innovation uh, within a firm, uh, working across different offices, and how do they collaborate and and leverage uh, structured data uh, to sort of do some of these bigger challenges, which is you know managing risk on projects. Can you give me so that's that's exactly you brought up one point, and that uh, that I've always been interested in. Everybody has been, you know, when I when I was in architecture school, Gary was it, right? Everybody wanted to be Frank Gary, and they would come out with all of these crazy shaped buildings in architecture school. And as a as a guy who has been a carpenter since he was thirteen and is now a contractor, and I'm building and I'm working with all my subcontractors, and they are teaching me and closing the feedback loop for me on certain on certain ways how to build stuff. Where I'm like, oh, man, yeah, okay, we'll design it this way next time. Just a little tweak here and there, and it'll work. How how does that work then for something like Frank Gehry's building? Where, like, what are the subcon? Can you give me an example? Like, what what is this, a subcontractor has told you of like, if you guys would just do it like this, it'll work better? Or like, how to you know to make those things happen? Yeah, well, I, I could you know give an example of projects in general. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's a there's a concept architect and an executive architect, and you're sort of uh, you know going through this. This design development process and, and you know moving the details along, moving the sort of all the way from the party to the programming to you know everything that goes into making a building, and uh, and a lot of times you're making assumptions. So uh, what the subcontractors and, fabri- and fabricators, material fabricators, you know you name it, we work in a world where there's a lot of different uh, uh, hands on a project, and we all can't be experts on it. So uh, it is really a team process. So the the key uh, an example, you asked for an example. Uh, uh, would it be where, let's say you create a uh, typical detail. You say this typical detail should cover these situations, these circumstances. Uh, well, if you actually go through and take in uh, the requirements from the subcontractor that says this is where it might break, there's the limits, uh, there's always uh, tolerances, these sorts of things. If you apply that to the detail using 3D data models and you you know, construct that detail and put, wrap some analytics around it, then you could do color-coded uh, spread, you know, spreadsheets, whatever they may be, that tell you exactly where it, the detail might break, and then you have to go back in and say, "Wow, I didn't realize that twenty percent of my details didn't work oh, in this case." Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Got it. Got it. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay. Huh? What is that? Wh- when they have you had any interaction with the co- subcontractors where they see this crazy organic shape, 
and like are they using lasers to make it work you know what i mean like how like what is it what is it when you boil it down like how are they how are they how does your software intersect with them in the field you know are you guys ever going out there and helping them point you know pinpoint data points so then they can make make the skins happen so that's where uh you know uh trimble plays a big role actually just in terms of field technology uh, we're talking about everything from you know laser scanning so that you can do comparisons of as-built to design data, uh, and obviously once again going around tolerances and checking where if something is maybe out of tolerance, whether it be you know a seam uh, uh, or or whether it be a structural deflection or whatever whatever uh, you're looking for, um, all the all the way down to sort of you know uh, robotics and automation and construction and. Uh, so I mean, there's it's sort of a it's a big topic, and you can take it a lot of ways. But uh, uh, you know, sub subcontractors a lot of times, uh, you know, you have different levels of sophistication, and some have a very streamlined uh, process around how they work, and some some don't. And so uh, we tend to make it less about the technology and more about the results. Uh, so sometimes you could be using some advanced technology in the field, um, but you know, in a sense, nobody really gets bothered by it or is worried about it because. It's just built into the workflow, um, and it's really just about delivering the results both for the sub and for the project in general. Yeah, yeah, rock and roll. You guys do cool stuff. Um, so you've also recently you've recently launched a uh, three-month design and technology-focused accelerator program called Zero Sixty uh, that is geared towards helping a gen- new generation of innovators uh, revolutionize project delivery across the AEC industry. What is Zero Sixty? How does it how's it been adopted or received so far? Yeah, 060. So uh, uh, I'm a co-founder. The other co-founder, Herman Aparicio, uh, he also works with us at Trimble Consulting. Uh, You know, we we had our first round uh, just in the last year. Uh, Actually, it went over very well. Uh, We're very pleased with how it went. Um, It was, uh, I'd say, a learning experience. Uh, I'd say that maybe some of our uh, companies that we had in the first cohort, uh, we learned just as much from as they learned from us. Um, so it is a non-equity-based accelerator program, which, you know, it's an incubator where uh, companies would apply if they're accepted. We run them through the program. Uh, the program consists of uh, actual uh, free office space, uh, access to, you know, uh, re- reviewing business plans, uh, marketing resources. Uh, some of the probably the most valuable things that I think uh, some of the groups have found was around... Um, you know, access to clients and client feedback because they're trying to build, uh, you know, software and technology that will sort of be the future of uh, professional practice. And uh, so access to some of these clients that would be using it is really, really key for them as, as young companies. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're happy to see that after through this uh, accelerator program, a couple have already been funded uh, by some pretty major uh, funding sources. So, uh, so it seems to be working out and we're looking to grow the program and uh, and to see sort of how how we can help foster uh, the next generation of technology. How do for people how do people apply to be accepted? Okay, zero uh, sixty dot io, and uh-huh. uh, this week we're actually launching our um, our summer cohort. So uh, if anybody's interested out there uh, that is actually starting a company, thinking of it, or knows somebody that uh, is 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 starting a company around AEC technology, uh, then you know steer them towards zero sixty dot io, and they could fill out an application there, and we'll get in touch shortly. Very cool, man. Are you, and you're in charge of saying yes, no. <laughs> we have a we have a process <laughs> around it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very cool. Uh, so you've also decided to take the real estate development pledge. Uh, with a project you've titled Spaceman House in the Joshua Tree Desert. Uh, what prompted you to take this plunge, and where are you at in the development process? 
So Spaceman House is actually a unique uh, opportunity for us. Uh, I, I mentioned uh, my wife being an interior designer earlier, and uh, and we actually uh, kind of ended up being a, a perfect storm of situations. Um, you know, we have some small uh, real estate investment out there that's sort of, I would, I would say, is more along the traditional side of things. And so we decided... Uh, you know, after I actually just recently got my uh, my architecture license, uh, both to do our first professional project that is our personal professional project, you know, not working for uh, the companies that we work for, um, and then in addition to that, being able to take some of the money out and invest it in ourselves and our own project, um, and then at the same time, you know, it's in Joshua Tree, and we just we love stargazing. And it's sort of a passion project from that sense. It's close is that where to the us. name comes from, Spaceman House? Absolutely. You're, you're thinking about space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to talk to Al Gore next time. Al Gore's got an interview. Then you guys yeah. talk about space all day. Yeah, we got a we got a a, a mounted telescope, and it's just a go to mount, and you know we'll we'll pull that thing out and just spend hours out there looking at the stars. Very cool. So where are you where where are you at in in the process? So the process, we just got our survey done. Uh, we're simultaneously, um, uh, you know, going through the design. Uh, it's actually great uh, being here at the expo because uh, we're, you know, be, being able to talk to some of the vendors and suppliers and see if there's anything that we can integrate. Um, you know, it's, it, is a, it is a single family residential project, so it's nothing major. Um, we're sort of, in a way, taking our time with it, which is not sort of the traditional developer model. Um, because eventually you might want to get it on market uh, s- sooner than later. Um, uh, but with that said, uh, yeah, we'll we'll probably be going for uh, permit in the next few months here and and uh, start building. Very cool, man. That's exciting. Well, congratulations. I hope I hope it, I hope it goes really well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so switching gears, I have some questions that I've been asking everyone at the conference, and I'd like to hear your take. Okay. Uh, so the first one is with the exponential growth of technology we've seen in the last century, it seems that automation is inevitable. Are you at all worried that we will lose our professions to automation? And you're a tech guy, so <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess uh, you know I'm, I've built my career on automation, right? Right. <laughs> um, so you're so the guy to ask. <laughs> for me, it's, for me, it's an odd question. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, I uh, everyone around me is probably sick of hearing me talk about it because I think that uh, you know, if you look, everyone thinks with Rosie the robot, you know, they're going to take you know housekeeping jobs. I still see people on our street that both have a Roomba and a maid, right? So, I mean, there's probably a lot of different analogies that you could use. Uh, but, I mean, even uh, uh, today, I took my first self-driving uh, car ride on the way to the convention. And there's two people in the car making it happen. So, there's, you know, where there's automation, there's jobs to help automation, right? right. So, that's one perspective. Uh, the other perspective is automation is built in our life, uh, uh, you know, left and right. The lights are turning off and on. Our cell phones are helping us uh, do things, you know. So it's just uh, it's already sort of ubiquitous. And uh, I think as 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 architects, uh, we sort of uh, we we don't really think of ourselves as integrated within the tech industry, but we already are as Absol- people. Oh, yeah. So as people, we are. Why don't we just accept it as professionals? Yeah. To me, it allows us to do. Um, like one example is, so um, there's an app I use for my email, and I don't even think my employees know this, but like, well, how is Lance sending out all these emails at 5 a.m.? Well, he did it the night before or the weekend before, and he's, he's ahead of you guys. For me, it allows me to just do more stuff and be more effective and be, and be ahead of the game. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think um, rather than us being Luddites about it, let's accept it and embrace it. And then just utilize it because that's the beauty of technology. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful thing about humans, right? Is like we are we we solve problems with technology. Like we, we can make things happen. 
Um, all right, next question. 3D printing was expected to transform architecture and construction, but uptake of it has been slow. Once technology has been adopted, how do you see architects adopting it? And will it usher back in the architect as master builder? So, you know, I, I think maybe uh, why it was so interesting early on is because, you know, you could get sm small 3D printers were available and people can use them and you could actually make models, right? So uh, the fact that it became accessible very quickly uh, and economical to be able to uh, start testing the technology created a lot of, exci of excitement around it. Uh, in terms of, you know, revolu revolutionizing the building industry, I think it will be a part of it. Um, but buildings are large, complex, you know, systems, right? Uh, we have a lot of different components that are a part of being a building. So a 3D printed uh, uh, object, whatever it may be, whether it be a wall, you know, what, whatever different components are being printed, will be a part of that project. Um, I think that uh, sort of in, from my perspective, I would almost replace the word 3D printing with, you know, uh, construction methodologies, which I think that we're going to see a lot that are actually going to transform our future as, as architects and builders is, uh, you know, everything ar uh, around prefabrication, uh, but pre prefabrication not in the traditional context, but in the new business models, uh, right, where we're seeing a lot of interesting companies out there uh, that are able to both leverage vertical and horizontal supply chains to, you know, create a kit of parts to build a building, which is nothing new to the profession, but the business models are, which is allowing a lot of adoption of uh, new construction methodologies. Yeah, rock and roll. Um, cool. Okay, last one. It's been 10 years since the Great Recession, and it seems like we are due for another one. What is one piece of advice you would give to a small firm architect or business owner as we near the end of this business cycle? Yeah, so business cycles happen, and, uh, you know, the market, uh, the market sort of is hot or, you know, sort of coming out of it, I guess. But uh, so there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of hopes, you know, hopes and dreams about the future where uh, maybe those of, those of us that have been around uh, the cycles in the past sort of know how, how it works. Um, so in terms of, of, of advice, um, I would say start thinking about it now um, because the last thing you want to be is that, uh, you know, that entry-level architect to a firm that ends up finding about it, out about it late in the hard way when everyone else already found the backup plan. So, um, so what is the backup plan? You know, there's a lot of different uh, options for different people. Um, some people would say to diversify, whether it be, you know, your income or your maybe your knowledge set uh, so that you become uh, marketable for other types of, uh, of industries, which is also maybe um, uh, maybe important for, you know, a lot of the conversations that are happening here at the AIA conference, because there's sort of this question is what is the future of the profession and and uh, are we losing our employees to other uh, industries? And, and, you know, I would say that if we expand the pie and we think of other industries as being part of the building profession, which a lot of them are, then uh, folks out there can start building the knowledge and skill sets to still be involved in the, build, in the design and building industry, um, but maybe through a different lens. Yeah, diversity, right? Yeah, I think yeah. diversity is key. Skill sets, knowledge, go, being able to, you know, do all different kinds of things. That For me, that's it, too. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for being on Inside the Firm today, Lucas. I'm so glad you reached out and we got to talk to you. Uh, where can people get and follow you? Where can they get in touch with you and your company? Uh, so our uh, company website, TrimbleConsulting.com. Uh, if anyone, if if you want to follow along with our uh, progress on our house, it's spaceman.house. Oh, cool! You have a, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, if 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 you're out there uh, and you want to uh, talk to us about zero uh, sixty, it's zero sixty.io, and I'm on Twitter at Lucas Reams. All right, thanks so much.
And now, a word from one of our sponsors. If you work with specifications in your firm, you've probably come across uh, outdated manufacturer specs and confusing notes. Not only does that happen, that also happens with, with code books too. And I'm ashamed to say it, but you know, sometimes you're just researching a code online and then you're like, oh, is this 2012, 2015, 2009, 2006? Am I in a county? Do they even have rules? Um, so you don't know if they applied. The same thing can be true for your specs. So uh, you, know, you don't want to find products that no longer exist or even companies that no longer exist. And trust me, I have done both. Uh, maybe you even pay for specifications. Well, don't do that because there's a better way. Uh, to find manufacturer specs for your products and documentations, and that's ArtCat. ArtCat.com is a free library. It has over 1,400 up-to-date, accurate specifications. Up-to-date and accurate are the keywords. Uh, they're written by FCSI, CCS, AIA professionals based on manufactured data. ArtCat uses powerful search engines to find the right specifications for your products, and downloads them in multiple formats for free, free, free. You don't even have to register. Look at that. Easy, convenient. Go to rcat.com and get the information you need. That's it. Welcome to Inside the Firm Special Edition AIA Conference in uh, 2019 Las Vegas. I'm here with Arlene Reams, founder of AVR Interior Design. Arlene has over 15 years of experience in providing design services to architects and project owners. Project, project's experience includes mixed-use commercial, retail, hospitality, high-end residential, and film staging, working alongside and consulting for firms such as Steinberg Hart Architects, KAA Design Group, BCBG, Invis Design, Kimball Office, and many other local architects and contractors. Arlene brings a complete understanding of the design, documentation, and construction process. Arlene, welcome to Inside the Firm. Thanks to you and your husband for reaching out uh, after hearing our request um, for have listeners on, such as yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so <clears throat> let's kick things off with, um, so you recently took the leap to leave a comfortable 9-to-5 job to start your own firm. Yeah. What prompted you to take that leap? Oh, my gosh. I... I just couldn't do the nine to five thing anymore. Um, it wasn't anything to do with uh, having terrible bosses or colleagues. They were all great, but um, I just wanted some creative freedom and I wanted to be involved in the full process and have control over it and also reap the benefits of being a business owner. Was it easy when you did you just did you break the news traditionally, put in your two weeks or was it laid off, fired, anything like that? Like how, how, did, how did it all happen? So I was working at a firm. It was a great firm. And I um, got approached by my mentor, who is amazing, and I look up to her. And she needed some, um, some consulting work. And that I saw it as my out. You know, I took that opportunity. And from there, I built on and looked for more projects. You know, as soon as I had the consulting position with her secured, I put in my two weeks because I saw freedom. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Good. No, freedom is everything. I mean, literally, freedom and happiness are 100% everything. So you already had some moon moonlighting work that you could kind of use as your base, right? Yeah. How did you, how did you starting out, then branch out from there and, and start getting more clients? Um, I started networking everywhere and anywhere I could. I started going to... Um, 
the city events and just meeting people, contractors, local business owners, um, and just, you know, really telling everybody, you know, I'm for hire as a designer. And working with the contractors, they recommend you for other things because they typically don't want to do the design work. Mm -hmm. So once you start a good relationship with someone, it, it snowballs. So just really manifesting it and putting it out in the universe that I, I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. And so are you busy enough to the point now where, how long, and how long has it been since you, how long have you been on your own and with your own firm? It's been four years now oh, on okay. my own. Yeah. And are, yeah. do you have employees? Do you have any intentions to expand? Um, I do want to expand. I do, uh, you know, cons- ha- hire other consultants for tasks and things like that. But sometimes I am a one-woman show, you know? Sometimes it's just me and jack-of-all-trades. Yeah, yeah. But you love it, right? You make yeah. your own hours. Oh, yeah. You do it's, that it's, whole thing. It's totally rewarding. Yeah. What's been the difference between uh, for you between working for clients versus architects, um, decorating versus full-service interiors, you know, working with the seller-doer model? And tell me, what does that mean, seller-doer model? Seller-doer model is... Um, I'm pretty much doing all the work and also hustling for new projects. So um, I'm also networking and selling the services and businesses that selling the services that I do, and then I have to also go and execute the design, the drawings, the concept, and then also site visits. You know, all the things that come with being a designer. Yeah. Are you sure you don't need an intern? <laughs> you know, you kind of just talked me into thinking you need one. I do. I do. I've yeah. got I've gotten to the point where I do need an assistant or an intern. Um, but it's it's a challenge because I also need that person to be a jack of all trades as a small business. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, online services like Fiverr are amazing to get some things done. Um, what do you use Fiverr for sometimes? Rendering. Oh, okay. Yeah, rendering mostly. Yeah. Um, and it's it's every project's a little different depending on if you're working directly with the client or if you're working with an architect or a business owner. Um, working with other professionals is definitely a lot easier. Working with architects um, because they understand the process. And when you're working with a small business owner or a residential client, you kind of have to educate them on how how the process works. Do you? Yeah, exactly. So do you? Um, do you charge a different? Does it make you charge a different fee? Because oh, you yes. okay, yeah. I think that makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. There's an education fee, is yeah. what I call it, and psychology too. A psychology fee, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So everybody who's listening, don't be afraid of that, and understand that. I think that's that's something that you're listening mm-hmm. to two professionals talk about, like curtailing your fees to specific clients, and and categorically, you yeah. know, I think it makes all sense in end of the day. Um, well, since you've been, since you've been, you know, you're fairly, fairly new business, you know, within four years, most, a lot of them, I'm not saying you're going to do this. A lot of them fail within the first seven years. You probably heard that too, as a small firm uh, owner. Um, so on that note, what is one piece of advice you would give someone who is considering to take the leap that you just did? Um, I would definitely start while you're employed at the nine to five, start meeting people, start networking. And uh, taking on, you know, jobs where you can moonlight so you can get a network going before you take the leap. And also, there's no sugarcoating it. It's hard. It's when you're working for a nine to five or a company, it's a different type of stress than when you're the business owner. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that last statement 100%. And that's why, on, at the end of the day, owners should should get the profit. Um, is because you go, when you go home, when a 9-to-5 employee goes home, they might think about work after that. But, yeah. may, but probably not as much as a business owner. That's all they think about, right? Yeah. Um, and you wake up, and one of the mentalities that I always try to stay in is, like, I wake up starving every day. I'm just, I'm hungry. And I need to make money, and I got to make sure everybody else eats before I eat, and then I get to eat at exactly. the end of the day, right? Yeah. Um, what is one mistake you've made so far in your own business that you feel comfortable sharing with us so that other startups might avoid those same mistakes? So, um, kind of uh, underestimating what I'm worth, you know, oh. lowering my fees, and then coming to realize that, you know, halfway through the project, the owner or uh, the business owner actually has a bigger budget than what they let on in the beginning. Uh huh. So it's hard because when you're a small business owner, you want the work, and you you're I don't want to say desperate, but you want that project. Yeah. So you, you can't talk yourself into giving things away because you got to eat too. You got bills to pay too. You, you know, have consultants or other employees depending on you. Do you think there was ever an instance where, because I know this has happened to me, where um, you get hungry and you go into a sales meeting and you seem a little desperate to where somebody sees that and they go, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to hire that person. Because um, maybe they, maybe they realize like you don't have enough meat on your bone in that, in that contract mm-hmm. that like, you're not going to be able to provide them that extra service that's necessary. Um, I've definitely have seen that. I've I've seen it from both both perspectives. Trying to hire someone, and um, you know, trying not to be that person. Confidence is everything. It is because when you uh, when you're a business owner, you can uh, be creative and solve those problems. You can hire someone to do it, or um, I would just say, show confidence up front. You're going to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And be okay with being a little bit afraid, even though you're confident, you know, exterior doesn't say that, right? Because that's what everybody's hiring us for, is they're hiring us for the confidence and they want to know, like, I hired the right person, they're going to solve that problem. I don't have to deal with that. Like you said earlier about the builders, right? They don't want to design that stuff. They just want it to be done and done correctly. And so then they can do the rest of their job um, correctly. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, So I was, I had your, I had your husband on, on a different episode. And uh, you've also decided to take the real estate development plunge uh, with the project he's you and he have titled Spaceman House. Um, what prompted you guys um, to take the plunge? And then what's it like working with a joint venture with your husband? I'm so excited about this project. Uh, so inspired by Joshua Tree and the location. And that's kind of what led to this. Um, we love stargazing and hiking and taking the dog out. Um, we were out there stargazing one night. And we thought about it and we're like, we could do this. We could totally do this. And we could use it as a portfolio builder. And because it's our own funded project, we, we can really explore the design side of it. Um, and working with him, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Let's just say that. I, I've been, I've, that was the best part of the podcast. I love, I've been waiting to ask you that question. I was hoping it was a joint venture so you could. I yeah. was just waiting for it. I love him to <laughs> death, but architects are their own breed. Let's just say that. And how, do you, how does it intersect? Because I, before you answer, hold that thought about how you would answer that. Because like with me and my wife, it was 
I did most of the space layout and mm. the bones and the structure, and then she, I would say, delicate, delicate, delicatized it. You know, yeah. she had the feminine touch about the whole thing, and then it was like, you know, she did the exterior materials, interior materials. She did do some floor plan. How does it intersect with you guys? Um, well, first of all, we have the same vision. We agreed on the vision from the beginning. Um, so he is handling the architecture, making sure that the views are aligned of the mountains and things like that. But when it comes to the interior finishes, uh, what I bring to the table is uh, making it softer, tactile, so that it feels comfortable and cozy and not um, too modern for the setting either because it is a little bit of a rustic setting. So um, I'm really looking forward to just hitting those thrift stores and really seeing what I can find in Joshua Tree instead of trying to make it something that it's not, you know? Yeah. Uh, so more like in situ of the place yeah. sort of thing. Very cool. Well, yeah. yeah. And then anybody who wants to follow along, you guys are posting this on a website, right? Yes. Spaceman House. Very cool. Yeah. There's, I, there is no better way to market yourself. Um, or to have a portfolio piece, I then build your own house. Yeah. It has paid off dividends for me and my wife over and over again. Um, just the fact that you can say, like, look, we, we designed and built our house, uh, and then you can bring people in and showcase that. Do you have any plans for, like, how you, like, doing open houses or anything like that after you guys are done? Like, client appreciation days or something like that or, like, a yes. evening? Promotion online um, through our own businesses, also through AVR Interior Design and Instagram, and also promoting it. Um, we want to Airbnb it. Oh. So promoting that. But it's it's also our house. So um, we have a big network of friends that are also in the industry. We plan on having a big party and showing it to our industry friends and things like that. Yeah, very cool. Well, good luck to you guys. I mean, Thank that's you. a... There's nothing, uh, it's one of the most stressful, fun things you'll ever do in your life. Yeah. Um, and, and not a lot of people get to do it, so cherish it. Trust me. Yes. Um, okay, switch, switching gears. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, three questions that I've been asking everybody at the conference. Okay. Um, and, I, and I know you've heard them, um, but I want to get your take. Everybody's got a different take on it. So with the exponential growth of technology we've seen in the last century, it seems that automation is inevitable. Are you at all worried that we will lose our professions to automation? I think it's something that we have to grow with and use to our advantage because creatively, um, there's always going to be a human aspect to creativity. We know how to connect with other people, and you can't automate that. So the the creativity has to be put into this automation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't connect with the robot. I agree. I mean, robots can't connect to robots i can't remember they put i don't do you remember when i think google made the two robots or china or something like that and they ended up like going crazy they put them in a room and they just ended up like doing really really crazy stuff so yeah there's always got to be a human touch to the thing yeah Yeah. if you can just i just don't want i i'm hoping that society doesn't get you know we don't try to legislate ahead of the whole thing and we just like nope let's just adapt humans are adaptable we've been Mm -hmm. here for hundreds of thousands of years so yes um all right 3d printing was expected to transform architecture and construction but uptake of it has been slow once the technology has been adopted how do you see architects or interior designers uh adopting it and will it usher back in the architect as the master builder Again, I think the creative aspect isn't there. I think it it has to have a human touch to it. Um, It's easy to see it happening in small things. 
you know, in decor or small components. Um, I think we're a long ways away before we can 3D print a house or a whole building. Um, there's still going to be some coordination there. I think it's another aspect that we have to use to our advantage because um, it will probably be, make for better products and better buildings. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, I've always thought, like, what if there's a backlash in the opposite way of people saying, like, no, I want hand plaster, I want a hand plastered finish, you know, and then all of a sudden it becomes like there's all these artisanal trades and then the humans are like right back in the whole thing. I mean, that's entirely possible, right? From a finish standpoint. Yeah, I, would think. I, I actually see that quite a bit. There's a, a purity aspect to something being real and, you know, something that's uh, authentic. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. It might, it, it's still kind of an exclusive thing because it's not a mass-produced thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last one. Uh, it's been 10 years since the Great Recession, and it seems like we are due for another one. What is one piece of advice you would give to a small firm architect or business owner as we near the end of this business cycle? Um, I think that's inevitable. You know, there's always going to be ups and downs in the economy, and... I, uh, I think diversifying and being open to doing other project typologies, trying something new, or um, being an ambassador for other people also, you know, teaming up with people. Um, I don't think that the, it's ever a bad thing to really explore all your options. Yeah. Because you, you're, you're going to need them at some point. Right, right, right. I agree. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on Inside the Firm today, Arlene. Where can people follow you and get in touch with your company? Um, AVRinteriordesign.com is my website. And on Instagram, also AVRinteriordesign. Beautiful. Okay, thanks again. Thank you. And now, a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, everybody. If you are trying to learn Revit, I think you should learn from yours truly, Alex Gorenland Psycho. Uh, we have a website called RevitRocketShip.com. We've been training university students, other professionals, our own staff for many, many, many years. And we made it available uh, online at RevitRocketShip.com. And what's great about it is that it's broken down into five to seven minute chunks, plus or minus on some of them. Um, teaches you everything from families uh, to uh, a whole project base. And one of the differentiators... I think there's actually two major ones. One is we're an actual firm, uh, f9productions.com, that does a lot of work. So we are implementing practices that are true. And what that means is that we're modeling like it gets built. Uh, we're doing uh, our walls a little bit different. You'll, you'll see in the videos of why we do it, but it actually works out in the end uh, to create a better model. We've uh, trained a lot of people, so this is not our first go around and the other thing, too, is that you get our template. You, give the actual, you get the actual template that we use, hone, develop, and improve every year um, in that system. Uh, so it's for free. So if you were starting a residential pro project, you'd start off on that. It'd have uh, everything set up the way that we like, the way that helps you uh, go faster, build cooler, cooler things, and, and be more awesome. So check that out, RevitRocketShip.com. 